This is a topic that I know for certain I need to brush up on, so I'm assuming anybody who's been listening since day one needs to as well. But before we get to that, my name is Chris, and you are listening to the Whiskey Noobs Podcast. It's been a long time since we have formally visited the types of whiskey, and so I thought this is probably a good time to do so. We're past 100 episodes. I'm sure a lot of people don't listen to the first few episodes. So let's brush up on on the different categories of whiskey. And this is going to be two different episodes. So this episode is going to be bourbon, scotch, and Irish whiskey. And I want to talk about those categories of whiskey and what makes them unique. Because when you first get into it, I know for certain, as good as anybody, that it is confusing. It's super confusing. What's the difference between bourbon and whiskey? What's the difference between scotch and whiskey? Are they subcategories? What's the difference between bourbon and scotch? I know how confusing all that is, especially when you're first starting off. So I wanted to come back and visit that topic. Now, previously, in the beginning of the podcast, I did this in like three different episodes. Uh, and I thought, that's probably not necessary. I did have some really good information in those episodes. I included some pretty cool stories. But I don't think all that's necessary nowadays. I think we can just go through what they are, talk about what to expect from each of them, and of course, review some whiskey. So today, I am reviewing Smooth Ambler's Contradiction Bourbon. And I have had it like one other time. You can see I've had a couple glasses out of the bottle. Um, that's not all me. I had a, a glass with a friend when I first tried it. And uh, I want to come back to it and do an actual full review of it. So I'm going to be reviewing that kind of as we go through the differences between bourbon whiskey, scotch, and Irish whiskey. So I'm going to nose and sip on this a little bit as we go, but let's get started with the category of whiskey, because I know this is confusing for some people. Whiskey is the umbrella category. So bourbon is not different from whiskey. It's just a specific type of whiskey. It's a fingers and thumbs kind of a thing. All thumbs are fingers, but not all fingers are thumbs. All bourbons are whiskey, but not all whiskeys are bourbon. Same thing with scotch. All scotch is a type of whiskey, but not all whiskey is scotch. And then, of course, you've got Irish whiskey as well, which I think speaks for itself. Has the least confusing name out of all three of those, but somehow catches the worst, I think, uh, PR. Probably because it doesn't have a cool, catchy, confusing name. So, those all fall under the category of whiskey. The three that we're talking about today, bourbon, scotch, and Irish whiskey. Now, bourbon is a lot more specific than people tend to think. They just start calling things bourbons, which is fine because it's confusing. Uh, but it, it's more specific than that. Scotch is the category within which you have peated scotches, single malt scotches, and blended scotches. So not all scotches are single malts. We'll get into that a little bit. And then Irish, once again, is a category that breaks down into more. So you do have single malts in Irish whiskey. You also have single pot still, which is very common for Irish whiskey. So once again, we'll break down what those are. But at a, at a bird's eye view, a high-level view, those are the categories that we're looking at today, which all fall under the umbrella category of whiskey. Now, let's talk bourbon first because that's what I'm drinking, so let's start with it. Bourbon, as I mentioned, has very specific sets of rules. It's a specific type of whiskey within the United States. It has It's the United States' official whiskey, if I'm not mistaken. 
don't quote me on that. But it has to be made in the United States. And it's following these rules. So first and foremost, and this is like the lifeblood of bourbon, its mash bill has to be at least 51% corn. The mash bill is the recipe of the whiskey, essentially. And of that recipe... At least 51% of it has to be corn. This is going to contrast with the ones we're going to talk about later, which use malted barley quite a bit, and unmalted barley for Irish. But for bourbon, it is 51% corn. Usually, it's a lot more. In most bourbons, it's going to be up into those 70s, 80s. It, it depends. It varies by the industry. But usually, it's a lot more than 51% corn. That is the big rule. So that's like the that's like the the bones of a bourbon is the mash bill. And so it's got to be 51% corn. Then it cannot be distilled to more than 80% alcohol by volume. Not 80 proof, not to be confused with 80 proof. This would be 160 proof. So you can't distill it so that it's you can't distill it so that it is more than 80% alcohol of pure alcohol in the bourbon. And that's going to help it retain some of its flavor. If some people wonder why this type of a rule, because you're going to see this type of rule in Scotch and in Irish whiskey as well. It also has to go into its aging container at no more than 62.5% alcohol by volume. Quick math, I think that's 125 proof. Let's look. Yes, that's 125 proof. So it can't go into the, let's say, barrel. I use the word barrel a lot, full disclosure. There are plenty of different oak aging vessels. There are casks, there are barrels, there are butts, there are pipes, if I'm not mistaken. There's a bunch. Uh, I say barrel all the time. So if I say barrel, excuse me. But it has to go into the container at no more than 62.5% ABV, which means if it comes off the still at 80, you're going to add a little bit of water to it to get it down to that 62.5 before you put it in the barrel at a minimum or at a maximum 62.5. Then it's got to be stored in a brand new charred oak container. I've said before charred oak barrel and people got mad at me. It doesn't have to be a barrel. It technically just has to be a container. I've also misspoken before and either said American oak or said white oak. doesn't specifically need to be American or white oak. It just needs to be a new charred oak container. There is no age minimum for bourbon. So it's not like it has to be above this age in order to be considered a bourbon. But if it's called a straight bourbon whiskey, then it has to be at least two years old. And to take it a step further, if it's under four years old, so if the bourbon's not at least four years old, it has to have an age statement. They have to tell you how old the whiskey in the bottle is. Now, as is going to be a pattern here, the minimum percentage for bottling it is 40% alcohol by volume. So you're not going to find a bourbon that's less than 80 proof or 40% alcohol by volume. So if you if you see that you're drinking a whiskey, a lot of times flavored whiskey, and it's less than 40% alcohol by volume, it's not a bourbon. So it's an important thing to keep in mind. And then another very important one, because this drives so much of the conversation about the color of a bourbon, is that you can't add any coloring or any flavoring to the bourbon. It needs to be unadulterated. You can add water to change the proof, and that is it. And a common myth for bourbon is that it must be from Kentucky, which is not technically true. Bourbon can be made anywhere in the United States. The the quote-unquote state for bourbon has been historically Kentucky, but it's not a law. You can make bourbon anywhere within the United States. So that's bourbon. So I'm going to hit the highlights of bourbon here. It's got to be at least 51% corn. It can't be distilled to more than 80% alcohol by volume. It can't enter the aging container at more than 62.5% alcohol by volume. 
It's stored in a new charred oak container. There's no age minimum unless it's a straight bourbon, in which case it's two years. And if it's under four years, it has to have an age statement on the bottle. And the minimum for bottling is 40% alcohol by volume. So when it goes into the bottle, it's got to be at least 80 proof. No coloring added, no flavoring added anywhere in the United States, not necessarily Kentucky. Coming off of bourbon, there is a little bit of a new, somewhat new, relative to bourbon, new category forming known as finished bourbon or known to some of us as finished bourbon. Some people still just call it bourbon. But what's important is that bourbon has historically been made the same way for years where it's in that new unused oak container. And whether you consider it bourbon or not, this new way of making it is that you finish it in something other than a new charred oak container. A lot of times this is a used barrel, such as a used port wine barrel, which is what Angel's Envy is. Just a used wine barrel or used sherry barrel. That's what Legion uses. Or something else. There's a ton of different finished bourbons nowadays. And so a lot of times in terms of the nickname, the shorthand, those are called finished bourbons by people such as myself. So it's important to distinguish that because it is technically violating some of those rules depending on who you ask, and it is registered differently. Angel's Envy is not registered under the same classification as a typical bourbon would be. So that's an important thing to note, but you will see those. Those are growing in popularity, and they are delicious. I love plenty of finished bourbons. I don't want to give off the impression that I don't. So that is bourbon in a nutshell, and I think you're going to see as we walk through Scotch and Irish whiskey that it is pretty wildly different from Scotch and from Irish whiskey, and I think that is one of the reasons that you get people who really like bourbon and don't like scotch and don't like Irish whiskey. And so I guess my point is if you've met one of those people or if you are one of those people and you're confused about that, it's because they are pretty wildly different. Uh, so don't let anybody tell you, oh, it's all whiskey. It all tastes the same. No, it does not. Now I am going to take a quick sip of this contradiction and then we are going to get into scotch. So quick little mini review of Contradiction as we're going here. So this is from Smooth Ambler, and Contradiction is a the result of them taking sourced bourbon and their own distillate and blending the two together. And so this is partially a sourced whiskey. And so far, I'm really liking it. I, this is about the $40 mark in Ohio. And... I think it has a really good flavor to it for the amount of heat that I'm getting. Usually with the flavor comes the heat to a certain extent. And this, I'm getting a ton of flavor from it. I'm not getting too much heat. It is only 46% alcohol by volume, so it's not too strong. Notice it is above that 40% mark. Bourbon has to be. Um, but I'm really enjoying it so far. So I'm excited to get a little bit more into it as we continue to talk here and see uh, how much I really enjoy it and, and give you guys some notes. It has a very, what I would consider to be like a bright nose. Like it's not earthy or heavy. It's it's bright in that it's got this like light vanilla, some cinnamon, and, and something else, something kind of fruity. I almost wanted to say citrus, but I feel like it's not citrus. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep with it here and see, see what I think. But nice, bright nose. You get a little bit of the alcohol. There is a little bit of kick to it, uh, but not too much follows through on the palate, but we'll get more into the palate, but a little bit of oakiness, some more of that spice, more of that vanilla, good standard, like whatever you want to consider standard quote unquote bourbon flavors. Uh, and 
but they're they're pretty strong. They're they're very forward. You're not really having to hunt out those flavors. They're coming to you. You know, they're not covered up by that alcohol. I'm excited to get more into this glass because so far I am enjoying it. Now let's move on to scotch. First and foremost, the thing that many people don't know, and I didn't know before I got into whiskey, scotch is basically there. There are more specific rules we're going to get into. A way of saying Scottish whiskey. That's what scotch is. It's whiskey from Scotland. So first and foremost, it has to be distilled in Scotland. It has to use water and malted barley in the mash bill, and they can use other cereals as well, but it has to have water and malted barley. And certain types of scotch will have more stringent rules, which we're going to get into. It has to be distilled to less than 94.8% ABV, so that it still has the smell and the taste of the raw materials used. You'll notice this is a much higher percentage than we had for bourbon. For bourbon, we had 80% ABV. So scotch, you can take all the way up to 94.8% alcohol by volume, if you so choose. It has to be matured in only oak casks of less than 700 liters in size. You will note that they don't say new oak, because they don't have the same rule that bourbon does. And it has to be aged for at least three years, which is different from bourbon. Bourbon doesn't have that minimum age unless you call it a straight bourbon. So bourbon could theoretically be less than two years, less than three years. Scotch has to be three years old to be considered scotch. It has to be aged only in Scotland as well. So you can't take the barrels or the casks or whatever of scotch outside of Scotland to age them. That will make it no longer scotch. So that's an important note because it's something you might not think about is where it's being aged. Then it has to retain the taste, the smell, and the color from its raw materials, which we kind of mentioned. That's why you can't distill it up to like very, very close to 100% ABV, although 94.8, I would argue, is kind of close. You can only add water and or caramel coloring. So that makes it different from bourbon. You can add caramel coloring to scotch, which you cannot do for bourbon. And then its minimum percent alcohol by volume is, once again, 40% alcohol by volume. Once again, that's going to be a pattern. (laughs) And one thing I wanted to point out, I mentioned, you know, bourbon doesn't have to be from Kentucky. Scotch does not have to be peated. In fact, a ton of scotches are not peated. I don't want to say the majority. I don't feel qualified enough to say the majority. But I would guess probably the majority are not peated scotches. So peat is that smoky taste that you get with some scotches where it's like aggressively smoky you know johnny walker is known for having just a little bit of that in some of their blends but not being overwhelming your lafroigs and your ard bags those are aggressively peaty those you get the peat smoke right away commonly misunderstood not all scotches have to be peated i didn't know that was commonly misunderstood because i didn't know what peat was when i first got into this but uh later on as when i found out that people thought that all scotches were peated that is not the case so that's an important thing to keep in mind and that peatiness is going to give you like a bonfire very smoky burning leaves type of taste and that is because when they what's the word i'm looking for When they malt the barley, malt, it's right in front of my face. I don't know why I forgot that word. When they malt the barley, in order to stop the sprouting process, which is what's happening when you're malting, they burn peat underneath of it. And that smoke from the peat is what dries it out and stops it from sprouting. And so that smoke from the peat really has a huge, pretty profound impact on the flavor profile 
after it is distilled and then aged. So that is a common misunderstanding. And the other common misunderstanding that I mentioned earlier is not all are single malt. Some people almost think that scotch and single malt are like synonymous, I think because of pop culture, but they're not all single malt. So Johnny Walker is not a single malt, or at least all of the ones that I have on my shelf. Those are all blends. Johnny Walker blue, Johnny Walker black, Johnny Walker red. Those are blends. So, which is different than single malt, which we'll talk about. Um, so not all scotches are single malt, not all scotches are blended, not all scotches are peaty. There's a ton of ground you can cover with scotch. And once again, bear in mind, you can also change the way you're aging it, the way you're maturing it, what type of barrel you're using, and get all different kinds of finishes that way. So single malt, what does that mean if not all scotches are single malt? Well, that means it's made from 100% malted barley. And a lot of people think that's why it's called single malt. But actually, the single means that it is made at one single distillery. And another rule for single malt that I even forget about most of the time is that it has to be made in a pot still. This is for single malt scotch, bear in mind. There are single malt Irish whiskeys. There are now American single malts. Single malt scotch has to be uh, made in a pot still. So 100% malted barley, made in a pot still, at only one distillery. And there are also a lot of really good blended scotches I just want to throw out there because, um, I mean, Johnny Walker is like the best-selling scotch of all time, and they are blended. So just bear that in mind. One other important note about scotch is that it is oftentimes divided into regions, regions of Scotland where you get somewhat different characteristics of the scotch. So You've got Isla, which is famously known for the peated scotches, those really smoky scotches. You've got the Highlands. You've got the Lowlands. Then you've got Speyside. And then you've got Campbelltown. So those are all different regions. We've had Isla, Highland, Lowland, and Speyside on the podcast. We have not had Campbelltown because it is incredibly hard to find in my area. (laughs) But someday, maybe. So that's another important thing to note because a lot of people, that you can get really deep into scotch culture and scotch history because there's so much going on if you haven't noticed that already so that's scotch in a nutshell gonna be made with malted barley but not necessarily all malted barley Uh, gonna be aged in oak casks less than 700 liters in size aged for at least three years distilled and aged in scotland only distilled to less than 94.8 alcohol by volume and bottled at a minimum of 40% alcohol by volume. So all important things. And there's also single malt within scotch. And there are single malt Irish whiskeys, which is what we're going to talk about now. Irish whiskey. I consider Irish whiskey to be one of the most underrated categories of whiskey. I think that it gets a bad rep in pop culture because it doesn't have a cool name like scotch or bourbon. Scotch and bourbon beg the question, what is that? Why are you calling it that? Irish whiskey tells you what it is right off the rip. And so I think it gets a bad rep for that reason. But I love Irish whiskey. And we're going to talk about why. So what is Irish whiskey, first of all? It must be made in Ireland. It must be made from unmalted barley, but it can include other unmalted cereals. It has to be, did I say unmalted barley? It has to be made from malted barley, but it can include other unmalted cereals. It has to be distilled to no more than 94.8% alcohol by volume. So once again, you've got that limit to make sure that you're not just distilling it 
into complete just grain alcohol that you can't taste the flavor of at all. So aging, Irish whiskey has to be matured in wooden casks up to 700 liters. Once again, these don't need to be new. These could be used casks. And they have to be aged a minimum of three years once again, needs to be aged in Ireland, similar to how scotch is with Scotland. And once again, you can only add water and caramel coloring. It's sounding a lot like scotch, but I promise you when we get to the subcategories, you're going to see that it's, it's not quite. Only water and caramel coloring can be added to it, and then it has to be bottled at no less than 40% alcohol by volume, which is just the standard almost across the board. It has to retain the, the characteristics of its ingredients, once again. Now... You can have single malt Irish whiskey, which once again is 100% malted barley made at a single distillery. So that is somewhat similar to scotch, although I would say, you know, the single malt Irish whiskeys that I've had have tasted different from the single malt scotches that I've had. Your climate plays a role. Your aging plays a huge role. Your yeast that you use plays a different role. I mean, everything, everything plays a role in determining the flavors. There's also uh, grain Irish whiskey, which is no more than 30% malted barley with other unmalted cereals added to it, and it's distilled in a column still. Now, pot still Irish whiskey is where Irish whiskey really, I don't want to say it's where it shines because I love single malt Irish whiskeys. I love all kinds of Irish whiskeys. But pot still is the one when I was new to whiskey that I saw and was like, oh, that's like the quote unquote single malt for Irish whiskeys. It's like single malt is to scotch as pot still is to Irish whiskey. That's not necessarily the case. In fact, I just did a review of an Irish whiskey that I believe, if I'm not mistaken, was a mix of malt and grain Irish whiskeys. And you'll see that too. That That is pretty common. But it's the I think it's the thing that makes Irish whiskey kind of cool, kind of like bourbon and scotch having cool names. So pot still Irish whiskey is a minimum of 30% malted barley, 30% unmalted barley, and up to 5% of other cereals. So don't miss that because it's a little confusing. What I just said adds up to 65% because it has to be a minimum of 30% malted barley, a minimum of 30% unmalted barley, and up to 5% of other cereals, which means 95% of it is either malted or unmalted barley combined. It's, it's the combination of malted and unmalted barley. In other words, you're, you're going to see a lot more than 30% malted barley and 30% unmalted barley. A lot of times it's going to be almost half and half. Uh, but you cannot have just 30% malted barley and just 30% unmalted barley because then what's that? What's the rest of that? It can't all be other cereals. That's the point I'm trying to make. Numbers are hard. I hope you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, and then it also, as the name suggests, must be distilled in pot stills. And so pot stills, column stills, two different types of stills. That's all that's important for this moment in time. Uh, but single pot still and pot still must be distilled in pot stills. And then if you add that single onto the name, it's at a single distillery. So single pot still, fairly common in Irish whiskey. Uh, Redbreast 12-year that we just had on the show not long ago, that's a single pot still Irish whiskey. And it's not much of a thing elsewhere. So that's why I think it's kind of a cool thing for for uh, Irish whiskey. It's a little different. And then there's also for Irish whiskey, the last thing is blended. And it's a combination of these types, which I mentioned. I just had one that was a blend of malt and grain Irish whiskey. And so you can do some cool things with the blending, which we'll also see when we get to Canadian in the next episode. It's, it's fairly common there as well. 
That is, in a nutshell, all the whiskeys. So let's run through Irish one more time, since I summarized the other two. Made in Ireland, made with malted barley, but it can include other unmalted cereals. Distilled to no more than 94.8% alcohol by volume. Matured in wooden casks up to 700 liters in volume. Minimum age of three years, and it has to be aged in Ireland. You can't add water. You can't add caramel coloring, and it has to be bottled at no less than 40% alcohol by volume and retain the characteristics of the ingredients. I think I ran through that too fast for even me to know everything that I was saying. So hopefully you guys caught it. I like to think that you're just that sharp that you did. Hopefully you weren't trying to write it down. (laughs) But that is... In essence, Irish whiskey, and once again, more subcategories of Irish whiskey. <clears throat> I really hope that this helps clear some of that up about the, the different types of whiskey. But I can't wrap things up because i got to do a review of this bourbon that so far I'm quite enjoying. And I'm going to bring up the flavor notes that they say you should get. The, the distillery says you should get, but not before I give my own. I'm going to go out on a limb here like I like to try to do, and I'm going to give my own notes And so if you're new here, I like to do that because there's no shame in getting something completely different than what the distiller gets. So I'd like to give you both reviews, what I get and what the distiller says that they think it tastes like. Let's talk about what I think it tastes like. I'm not going to lie to you. Prior to this episode, I had had this once, maybe twice. And I am enjoying it way more than I recall or than I thought I did. Uh, this is really good. This has a nice little spice kick to it. I mean, it's got a little bit there, but overall it's got a lot of flavor and it's pretty easy to drink. I am on the nose. I'm getting, like I said, a bright nose. It's very vanilla forward, maybe a little bit of what I would consider to be almond and definitely some of that spice. It it comes through to me as cinnamon. Like there's no questioning it. It's cinnamon. Then on the palate, I get that vanilla and that almond almost form like a creaminess. Like it almost comes across a little creamy in the beginning. And then it gives way to oak and more of that spice. A little bit of that cinnamon, a little bit of like a black pepper. It keeps it exciting because you you really, I think for $40, I'm seeing more transition in flavor than I normally would. A lot of times in the less than, let's say, $50, just to throw a number out there, for like a less than $50 whiskey, you're not going to see too much change in the flavor. Like, oh, it's this and then it's this and then it's this. Sometimes you do. And this is one of those cases. It's really kind of a nice, creamy, maybe a, I almost thought a touch of banana on that last sip. Nice and creamy. And then it transitions into that oaky, spicy, a um, little bit more exciting flavor. And it finishes with that spice. Uh, it finishes pretty much full spice for me. Sticks around in my palate for a while. I think uh, maybe the oak sticks around the longest. That spice starts to kind of fade, and then the oak is there. But uh, so far, a great glass of whiskey. I remember liking it. I don't want to say I didn't like it when I first tried it. I remembered liking it, but I didn't remember liking it this much for the $40 that it costs. I mean, this is uh, this is really good for 40 bucks. Huh. I'm excited to see what they say it should taste like. So I'm going to look that up without further ado. And as I mentioned, don't worry if you think something tastes differently than the distiller says that it should taste. Sometimes it's just a matter of different palates. And sometimes it's a matter of distillers wanting to kind of dress up 
their whiskey and make it sound a bit more complex than it actually is. I'm not saying that's always the case, but sometimes I've seen it be what I believe to be the case. I mean, they have every, uh, what should I say? They have every, not right, motivation. They have every motivation to want to do that. So that's fair. Okay, tasting notes. I don't think I was too far off. Full of oak, dried cherries, vanilla, and cinnamon, creating a signature mature bourbon nose. Let's pause there. Yes, I fully agree with this. Uh, They say dried cherries where I said almond, but those are almost interchangeable for me. I mean, those are really similar smelling and tasting things. Weirdly enough, just trust, just think about that for a second. Think about like amaretto or like Dr. Pepper and and think about that. And I think you'll see what I mean. They're different, but they're similar in a weird way. Uh, So you've got the oakiness, you've got the dried cherries, vanilla and cinnamon. I would say it leads with the dried cherries, vanilla and cinnamon. The oak is almost an afterthought on the nose. And then on the palate, I get hit with the dried cherries and the vanilla and the cinnamon and oak come up behind it. And then those come in and then they continue. So that's the first sentence. And then it has sweet from the wheat and spice from the rye and a bit of leather round at the palate. It's viscosity creates a smooth and pleasant finish. I didn't talk much about how much the finish is either harsh or smooth. We'll, we'll talk about that, but sweet from the wheat and rye from the spice or spice from the rye, if I could talk, sweet from the wheat and spice from the rye, I think is, it's one of those where it's like, okay, well, if it's got wheat and it's got rye in it, then then yeah, those are characteristic of those things. But what I will say about sweet from the wheat is for a, a split second, it did remind me of Weller, which is a weeded bourbon. So I could kind of see a weediness to it. I did mention creaminess on the palate. I get that a lot with like weeded bourbons. So I could see that having characteristic weeded bourbon notes. Not to say this is a weeded bourbon. It sounds like it's got wheat and rye in it. I don't think they tell me the mash bill. At least I don't see it where I'm at right now. Smooth and pleasant finish. Let's talk about that. First, I got to take a sip so that I know what it's like because I didn't pay close enough attention. This finish, this finish is right in the middle. Um, It's not drying my tongue out. But it's not oily on my tongue. I mean, it's it's right there in the middle. It, for some of you, might be just a touch pokey. It might make your tongue feel a bit pokey, a little bit dry. Uh, it's, it's almost a little bit tannic. But it's still not so harsh. Like, I'm not having to breathe in and out, get the fumes out of my mouth, burning my tongue type of sensation. It's not that bad. So... I would, I would put it like right in the middle as far as finishes go probably. But what I will say, the dried cherries, and it's probably a placebo because I read it now. Now that I have read that <clears throat> instead of almond, I see it. I get it. It tastes like cherries to me. Of course it could be a placebo effect. Of course I'm biased because I read that. But pretty – here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll say. So you notice the, the nose and the palate – weren't too different from each other. Uh, it was fairly the same notes, just kind of delivered some stronger than the others on the nose versus the palate, whatever. But so much flavor for the amount of burn that you get. That's what I like. You can have all of the same exact flavors as this, but it just not be so strong. You just get a little bit more alcohol and a little bit less flavor. You can have that, but this is so much flavor. It Maybe it's just right now. I mean, I purposefully didn't eat a spicy dinner tonight. I don't know. But I'm getting so much flavor from this. 
for the amount of burn that I'm getting. For 46%, I notice more burn than I would probably anticipate, but for that amount of burn, I'm getting way more flavor than I would anticipate. So it's a weird kind of thing where it's like, for 46%, this is basically what you've probably seen me call a flavor bomb before. And a lot of times I'll say that about something that's like barrel proof. Uh, this is not, but it still is a flavor bomb. I mean, you're getting a lot of flavor. You're getting a little bit of spice. Not drying my tongue out too much, which is impressive. I rarely am this taken aback by a bourbon, especially at that $40 price point. But this, ooh, am I going to regret saying this? This might be right up there with Redwood Empire's pipe dream for me. I would love to have a side-by-side blind tasting of those two. I have a feeling Redwood Empire is going to be more caramely and this is going to be more spicy. And so that's really a matter of preference. But this is, it's not too spicy. Some people weren't too big a fan of the Long Branch that I recently reviewed. That was a little bit too spicy for some folks. This isn't that far spicy, but it's certainly not quite as bakery sweet as Pipe Dream. But this is like right in the middle, man. This is really good. They do also mention, by the way, that it's a blend of different whiskeys at different ages, but the majority whiskey is more than nine years in age, which is a clever way of wording that. But I would assume that means there's some whiskeys that are less than nine years in age. Because usually with an age statement, if you say it's a blank year old whiskey, that means that the youngest whiskey in there is that many years old. So they're saying not the age of it. They're saying the majority of the whiskey is more than nine years in age. That's a little bit clever. I just noticed that. But here's what I'll say. Uh, Smooth Ambler Contradiction, $40 for a bottle in Ohio. I would buy that, no questions asked. I am enjoying this much more than I anticipated to enjoy it. Wow. That cherry almost comes through, that fruitiness. I'm almost now getting more towards like a, a plum or like a jelly or almost a little bit of nuttiness. It almost reminds me of Angel's Envy. You know, Angel's Envy has that aggressively sweet, aggressively finished in port wine casks flavor that I absolutely love, not dissing. This has like a less finished, because it's not, version of that. So I could go on about this all day, but I am very much enjoying this glass of contradiction. So you might want to give that a try. If you're on the email list, then you hopefully gave it a try right alongside me. Let me know what you guys think if you did that. If you're not on the email list, you got to get on that. I'll tell you how to at the end of the episode. But that is all that I've got for this episode. We broke down a few different types of whiskey. We're going to break down some more of them and we're going to do a different review, of course. We broke down a few different types of whiskey. Hopefully that cleared the water and didn't muddy it for you guys. But if you have questions, as always, don't hesitate to ask. The easiest way to reach me is through Patreon, but you can also reach me sometimes through my DMs, sometimes through email. And one, one more time, Smooth Ambler Contradiction, I'm impressed. I'm more impressed than I expected to be by it. I'll just say it one more time. It was good. It was really, it was so much more flavor than I anticipated, especially that $40 price point. I'm excited to try it again and see if that holds up or not. I can't just keep gushing about Contradiction all day long. I got to be done, guys. So I will leave you with learn to drink, drink to learn. 
Thank you guys for listening to another episode of Whiskey Noobs. If you need more Whiskey Noobs content in your life, make sure you check out our Patreon page in the show notes. And if you like the show, please make sure to leave a five-star rating or review. It only takes a couple of minutes, and they're way more helpful than people realize. If you want to do tastings alongside the show, make sure you join the email list by sending an email to whiskeynoobspodcast at gmail.com with a subject line that says email list. You'll receive monthly emails with a list of the whiskeys that will be featured throughout the month so that you can buy them ahead of time you can also find more whiskey noobs content on instagram at whiskey underscore noobs and on tiktok at whiskey noobs podcast once again thank you guys for listening the whiskey noobs podcast does not support underage or otherwise irresponsible consumption of alcohol